the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Well, good morning, everyone. Hope you're having a blessed uh, day. Um, uh, this is Let Us Reason Radio. I'm your host, Al Fadi, on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. And uh, if you have listened to our show, uh, whether uh, live last week or uh, during the week from the archive, uh, you would have noticed that uh, we had a dear brother with us who's been with us uh, before as well. His name is Salam Cornish, and we were talking this time about the possibility of finding any truth, biblical truth that is, uh, in a non-biblical sacred text, uh, text that uh, maybe... Uh, uh, Buddhists uh, believe in, or Taoists believe in, or Muslims in this matter, of course, believe in, like the Quran. And um, uh, we, uh, the, our brother uh, was mentioning to us that there has been a uh, um, some sort of a progression in uh, among evangelicals, if you wish, uh, in the last maybe uh, century or two, uh, to uh, convince us um, that uh, we could find really truth in uh, the Quran, for instance. And that Muslims uh, really can really come to Christ uh, through the prophet of Islam. And therefore, God sent him as a warner, indeed as a warner, to uh, uh, turn Christians towards Christ uh, through the teaching of the Quran, which is really uh, a very naive view, to say the least. Uh, I'm a former Muslim myself. I know what the Quran teaches. The Quran denies, for instance, uh, basic truth about the gospel, like the cross, for instance. It denies the atonement uh, by the blood of Jesus. It denies calling Jesus the Son of God. It denies uh, fa- uh, God to be called the Father. Right there, uh, we already have a problem, uh, uh, according to the writings of John in uh, his first letter, First John. So um, then also, if you look at, historically speaking, at some of the uh, uh, Christian apologists uh, throughout the centuries, right from the start of Islam, for instance, around 8th century, you have someone like John of Damascus around uh, 8th century. He referred to Islam as a Christian heresy. Uh, then you have St. Uh, Francis of Assisi around 13th century. He referred to Muslims as brothers, while, while Martin Luther in the 16th century, one of the reformers, of course, and the founder of Reformation, uh, referred to Islam as a religion in which Father, Son, Holy Ghost, Baptism, the Sacrament, Gospel, Faith, and all Christian doctrines on life are gone, and instead of Christ, only Muhammad with his doctrine of works, and especially the sword, is left. No other, no one other than Luther can put it really in perspective. I mean, that's pretty much what it is. Your thoughts, brother? And Martin Luther, of course, he he came from a very um, works righteousness 
type of background in in Roman Catholicism, you know, how many times could he do this righteous act? How many times could he do that righteous act? And so we was very sensitive to seeing works righteousness because it had been part and parcel of his life. And that's why he said, and instead of Christ, he had his doctrine of works. And then, he, of course, he added the sword. Uh, Luther wasn't the only one at that time, of course, who was responding to Islam. Because, of course, at that time, um, Suleiman the Magnificent was on the march. And um, and we're talking here an Ottoman, an Ottoman Empire, of course. Exactly. And... Um, <clears throat> And so the Christians at the time were saying, now, how do we respond to this? And um, reformers like Luther, he wrote a, a tract called On War with the Turks. Um, Bollinger wrote something on the Turks. And even uh, John Calvin mentioned uh, the Turks. They used the word Turks as kind of a short form for the Muslims of the Ottoman Empire. Um, I, I did a, a little bit more homework and research on John Calvin's attitude towards the Turks or towards Islam and uh, Muslims. And I have found it very, very interesting because Calvin is approaching this not as an anthropologist or as a sociologist, as is so common today, or as a student of comparative religions, but Calvin is coming at it as a theologian. So what has been some of your findings uh, from your research, for instance, uh, about Calvin's attitude towards other religions and the Quran and Islam? Calvin was pretty quick in one of his early catechisms to draw out the difference between true and false religion. I guess he felt it important enough that his church in Geneva needed to understand how could you see a false religion if there was one in front of you? Um, we took some of the material from the institutes, which he had just written the year before in about 1535, and wove that into his catechism. But long story short, he says, if Jesus is not exalted as divine, whatever you have in front of you, no matter how loud it is, how religious it is, how much it proclaims to be truth, he said it's basically a what he would term a monstrous fiction. And obviously, uh, Calvin coming uh, at it from the direction that uh, people um, really undegenerate and they have uh, no capacity, mental capacity, that is, to distinguish between right or wrong. Calvin was, was careful in that he said that by virtue of us being created by God, all of us have a sense, a sort of an innate sense of the divine within us. But he says that soul, we take that innate sense of the divine, and we, as the people who are supposed to be made in the image of God, turn around and make God in our image. And so he, he would say 
for instance, that the Turks serve nothing but an idol because they have created a god in their own image. And this wasn't just said on one occasion. He said this in his institutes. He said this in his commentaries, in his sermons. Basically, they serve an idol because it's something made out of the imagination of the human mind. Because it didn't come as a revelation from the true and triune God. So Calvin measures his view of other religions always by what are they doing with Jesus. If Jesus is a little Christ-lit or a little creation or a little human imagination, even if he's given superhuman powers, as in Islam, he says that's an idol. That was more or less theologically how he looked at it. So I don't think Calvin actually had something used like it. Oh, I'm I'm out to get Islam because I don't like Islam. He he would classify any religion that way. Right. I mean, he wasn't really uh, uh, just picking on one over the other. Uh, he's just using the Bible as the standard uh, that we can compare and contrast everything to, and uh, that's the way it should be, especially. Uh, from us as believers, I mean, I can understand if uh, someone from a Buddhist background or a Hindu background or a Muslim background would try to compare and contrast, uh, well, uh, they, they obviously do not know the truth found in the Bible. Uh, it behooves us uh, to be uh, the ambassadors and the deliverers of the good news. But us as evangelists, uh, to take that uh, truth in the Bible, put it aside and rely on non-biblical books is very troubling to me, to say the least. Um, any other observations, whether from Calvin or even after Calvin, uh, that you came across, brother? One nice thing I found about Calvin, because people like to take the Reformers and say, oh, you know, they were dinosaurs living in the Dark Ages, and they, they basically had kind of an intolerant view of things. Calvin, on one of his commentaries about in the book of Isaiah, he, um, he said, don't forget that the Muslim person is made out of the same flesh and blood as we are. And I thought that was pretty precious. That is to say, he had a, a wise ability to distinguish between Islam which he would have called a monstrous fiction, and between the Muslim person standing in front of him, who he said, this is someone made out of flesh and blood, just as I am. And I think that's a very helpful distinct, distinction that many, Absolutely. many people uh, fall over. That is to say, we try to say, well, we want to be nice to Muslims. Therefore, we have to... Every, we have to kind of uh, Christianize or candy coat or uh, take all the rough edges off of Islam. Calvin didn't do that. He said, no, these are two distinct things, and we need to um, keep those in different categories. That is very true. And uh, I certainly appreciate um, how Calvin also... Uh, viewed my Muslim people, and uh, no one really denies the fact that we have to look at my Muslim people as uh, just people who are creating the image of God. 
and uh, we have that responsibility to reach out to them. But I, it is because of this, I feel also troubled, brother, that uh, some evangelists deceive my people and make them think that there is hope for them just if they stay where they at. Um, you know, so much then for Jesus saying uh, that uh, the Son came to set us free. Free from what if we're going to stay in the same bondage that uh, we are at uh, from the beginning? Well, exactly. You see, this is coming at it simply in a, what I would say, kind of a sentimental, sociological way. Uh, <clears throat> Calvin said, these gods made in the imagination of humans, they, they're mere nothings. They're beyond nothing. And uh, people who who worship them, they're just sitting on on sitting on soap bubbles or skating on marbles or chasing after their shadow. And and yet, if we say no, 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 they are doing good things. This is this is actually leading ultimately somewhere. Rather than saying this is ultimately futile, we are doing absolutely no service because there is no darkness and there is no light when as you mentioned al that these things are mushed together as well you know those religions are actually quite good and uh, we should really affirm uh, as montgomery watt says we need to affirm everything good in them uh, okay granted uh, i lived in uh, the middle east and it was nice to see that um, there weren't too many drunks on the street. Um, and one could say, wow, you know, Islam is really good for keeping drunks off the street. Um, I also happen to know that in the country that I lived in, that the statistics of wife abuse was enormous. So let's not just gush over one thing and have a blind spot for the other. Certainly, brother. And um, just curious, um, uh, you know, any other discoveries you made in your research? I mean, obviously, this is a topic that is dear to me, and I've been researching it, too. In fact, uh, one of my goals is to hopefully do my Ph.D. in an area like this, which is the early Islam, uh, early Christian polemic against Islam, 7th, 8th, and 9th century. But uh, uh, we're already into the Reformation age right now. Uh, beyond the Reformation age, did you discover any new progressive uh, uh, development towards uh, attitude uh, uh, towards the Quran, for instance, among evangelists? Well, that, that's been wrestled about, uh, wrestled around, of course, because of these, what I would say, seismic shifts that were happening in the mission world. One of the seismic shifts happened with Eugene Nida with his ideas about dynamic equivalence. And, um, basically saying we need to find a way so that the the reader, the receptor, and the writer can kind of come closer together. Well, a man named Charles Kraft from Fuller Seminary, he seized on that idea, and he said, you know, I want to take that, and I want to use it in the world of missions. And so in 1973, at a conference in Marseille, he introduced something called dynamic equivalent churches. And basically he's saying, well, a church and a mosque 
can be dynamic equivalent, dynamically equivalent. A, the Bible and the Quran can be more or less dynamic equivalent. Jesus of the Bible and Isa of the Quran, ditto, etc., etc. And so now you could have people called Christian Muslims and Muslim Christians and any hybrid thereof. So that was a huge seismic shift in around 1973. Kraft ran with it. Well, before you know it, people like uh, Phil Parshall, who wrote his also his work at Polar in 1980, he wrote his new path in Muslim evangelism. And what is he doing? He's saying, I give most of my credit to Charles Kraft for forming my mind. Whoa. Uh, and, logically speaking, Phil Parshall said, yep, you know, we can find bridges between the Quran and the Gospel. No problem at all. So this is coming. So you have the theories of translation theories now taken by a mission thinker, now teaching people like Phil Parshall, who's working on the field. And then, of course, we open the door for large amounts of experimentation. <clears throat> Ideas obviously have consequences here. That And so then in about 1980, Lausanne Committee for Muslim Outreach said, you know, we might want to define how the Quran is being used or how do we see the Quran? And <coughs> Sorry, I'll have to <coughs> pop a... Uh, Time out. <clears throat> okay, we're back on. And so Lausanne proposed five categories. They said, first, the, the Quran should never be used in discussion because it might imply that we accept it as inspired and putting it on the same level as the Bible. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Then the second one was the Quran should be studied, but only to help us know and appreciate what Muslims believe and enable us to learn Muslim terminology. One thing I could say already, as I look at this, I'm a little bit worried because the Quran is part and parcel of a much, much larger worldview. It, it's, you can't just look at it atomistically. It's, it's the whole Islamic worldview. And so then they said the Quran should be used against itself to demonstrate that it is self-contradictory. Such a polemic use of the Quran will show its weaknesses and create a hunger for something better. They went on to say the Quran should be used as a starting point. That is to say, the many verses that speak about Jesus and other biblical characters can be used to point to the biblical version of the same story. One thing that's behind that thinking, of course, is the fact that just because two things are similar has nothing to do with sameness. A miracle in the Quran by Jesus and a miracle in the Bible are completely different worlds, completely different thought worlds. So just because miracle, miracle does not equal miracle. And finally, Lausanne said, the Quran can be used as a source of truth. And it said, our recognition of all the truths which the Quran does contain 
Uh, we've just been talking about that, whether these are actually true truths. But here it says our recognition of all the truths which the Quran does contain makes the Muslim much less defensive and more open to read the New Testament. Since the Muslim has been told that the Bible has been corrupted, it's an enormous step forward for him to even read the Bible along the Quran. This view can be supported by a study of the ways in which biblical writers handle non-biblical material. Paul quote, Paul's quotations from Greek poets and his use of the words like mystery. Right. Yeah, that's uh, really disturbing. Uh, I mean, w when you listed those five different points or responses from the Lausanne uh, conference, uh, point one, the Quran should never be used in discussion with Muslim because using it implies that we accept it as inspired. I agree with that. I Personally, I don't like uh, the idea that we cannot go to it if necessary to try to make a point why I need the person to go to the Bible. But if I start with the Quran, like the movements that want you to use that, then I'm already telling the person that your book is as good as mine. Uh, you know, looking at the Quran as a historical book, trying to find some things in it to build that bridge back to the Bible, it might be, it might be necessary if needed, of course. Uh, point two, that the Quran should be studied uh, to help us uh, basically appreciate what Muslims believe. Nothing wrong with that, especially if you want to focus on Muslim outreach. Certainly, I mean, you want to speak uh, uh, from a point of knowledge and authority, and you cannot really just make false claims also about what Muslims believe if you yourself don't know what they uh, believe. It's unfortunate, of course, even if you studied the Quran and the commentaries, you'll see even the commentators disagree among themselves. Uh, many uh, Islamic scholars disagree among themselves. Lately, there has been this movement that Islam today and interpretation of the Quran today should be completely different than how the interpretation happened in the early Islam. So there is disagreement among the Muslim camp themselves. So uh, we have to be very cautious and careful. And it seemed like to me, and I don't know really, brother, uh, if you agree with me or not, this progressive um, uh, you know, movement towards accepting the Quran is no other than lazy evangelism, in my view. Islam has been a challenge uh, to many uh, uh, organizations and churches and evangelists, and uh, certainly uh, they're not coming up with the results that they would hope for, so the donors will cough up the money. And as a result of that, you want to be creative now in finding ways that will convince your supporters uh, that you're doing something, even though if this means that uh, the truth has been diluted. I don't know if you agree or disagree with me. Well, I find that Lausanne, for instance, they, they um, the last statement, the Quran can be used as a source of truth. This is the whole question about sources of truth and all the truths which the Quran does contain. And this, can, and then it says this can be supported by the way that Paul, for instance, handled quotations from Greek poets. Paul used this, that thing about Paul and the Greek poets is used left, right, and center in insider writings. It was in um, the writings of McDermott, Gerald McDermott's book about finding truth in other religions. It's left, right, and center. Truth be told, a person wrote his doctoral thesis at Westminster Seminary on this, and he came to the conclusion that Paul is using these poets strategically, probably 
if I could put it in, if I could paraphrase it, kind of like a velvet covered brick. He's just saying, guys, even your poets show how ignorant you are. Exactly. And that's uh, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul was doing. And I also disagree with them that they uh, alluded to the fact that our Lord used the Apocrypha. I challenge them to show me where exactly our Lord and the Apostles in all of the 296 plus quotations from the Old Testament ever came from an Apocrypha writings. So uh, this is the problem that we're faced with, brother. Our time is up, unfortunately. And I would like to invite you to join me again uh, uh, in the near future here to continue this wonderful discussion. Uh, if you just tuned in, uh, you're listening to uh, Let Us Reason Radio. I'm your host, Al Fadi, uh, on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. Hope you tune in again next Saturday. Until we meet again, have a blessed week. J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.